Welcome to North Georgia Business Radio. I'm your host, Bo Henderson, here with Dr. Bill Lampton. And this is the show where we talk about business, where we highlight the business people in our community, the stories about their businesses and their stories, too. And also there's some parallels, I find, Bill, of the lessons we can learn in business and other things we can learn in business that apply to other areas of our life. Yes, and I want to harp back to something you asked me last time. You asked me had I had any unusual, very strong customer service. Had I experienced it recently locally? And I'll have to say that since then, that has happened to me in a wonderful way. The car overheated. One of the worst things that can happen is when that hot light comes on. So naturally, I had to pull over and I had to call some towing services. One towing service said, we can't be there at all. We're booked. Another one said, it will be two hours. The third one said, we can be there in 30 minutes. And so my hat's off to A1 Towing Service. Did a great job for me. Now, that's what you want. You want to do such a good job that people want to talk about you and share it. So yes. Hats off to A1 Towing. And guess what? I've forgotten the names of the other two. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's a good tell. Now, one of the things in, in my practice over the last 16 years in retirement planning that I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, I think too much or a mistake my industry makes is they focus completely on numbers. And in business, it's easy to focus just on numbers. But what I've found the last five years, I've been a really big proponent out pounding the drum that a lot of times success in business and in life in general, it's not just about the numbers. It's about a lot of the non-financial aspects of success, or in my case, a successful retirement or a successful life. And I'm excited about our guest today because we might not be talking about business numbers and things you know, things you might think of of growing a business, but maybe there's some non-financial, non-business aspects of how do we, how do we be healthy as a person, or how do we deal with things that come up that aren't on the bottom line? That are well, I like to say they're not on the spreadsheet necessarily because when we're dealing with life and people, sometimes there's a little more to it. And is it time for me to bring in our guest? Let's do it. All right. Very delighted to introduce our listeners to Dawn Eccles. Dawn is a licensed professional counselor, life coach. She's the owner and executive director of her firm, Dawning Phoenix. And what a diverse professional background she has had, excelling in all that she's done. Very diverse career. She taught classical music, and I've told Don before that I took piano for six years, and my parents let me quit when I found Middle C. <laughs> she broke sales records in the insurance industry. She's worked in customer service, sales, and as a marketing consultant. And I know from Facebook, I haven't witnessed it personally, but I know she's a very avid, skilled water skier. Don Eccles, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited. Don, you deal with a wide variety of clients, I'm sure. And our focus today is, as Bo mentioned, it's on the stress that we face in the business world. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about several instances and ask what advice do you give people in these circumstances? And what you share with us, I'm sure, will help many of our listeners. First of all, there's a phrase that has become popular that we wish never had. It's the phrase in transition. Mm -hmm. And it's a euphemism for you're out of a job. Mm -hmm. And possibly you've been fired. You're, you're a victim of downsizing or something else. 
this is a traumatic time, and it's especially a traumatic time if you're past 30 or 35 and you're looking for a job. How does a person deal with this successfully when suddenly your security, your income, your, your regular stability, and even your work friends are taken away from you? That's a big um, impact on you. And I was thinking about what you said, Bo, when you talked about um, those transitions and the effect on the bottom line. So I'd like to address that and then go to what you're talking about with layoffs or other things that might be going on. You're absolutely right, Bo. The profit is completely affected by the health of the person that's performing on the job. And productivity can be increased or decreased based on the work environment, the organizational culture, as well as the way that an individual might cope with the stressors of a job. So leaders can do things to either help empower their employees how to handle stress better. Individuals have to be kind of accountable for their own mindset, too. But you can, if you're in a bad environment, then you've got to have some extra skills on how to handle that, especially if you feel that you can't leave. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But going to what you're saying, Bill, you know, as we were talking to get ready for the show, I was thinking about how developmental theory kind of contributes to the understanding of what you and Bo both have touched on about being out of a job, whether it's because of layoff or because of retirement, planned or unplanned. Some people are forced into early retirement. Some people retire with an expectation of what it's going to be, and it doesn't work out the way they thought. And so, Bill, when you mentioned that about being over 30 or over 35, I think that depending on the age of the person actually can impact that as well as our mindset. So a person who's 30 or 35 actually has plenty of time to reinvent themselves, to try something new, to take a risk. It depends on the level of their responsibilities, however. No reason to panic at that stage. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And whereas a person who's over 50 faces a different set of challenges and they have a different timeline for how they're going to do that. But developmental theory, when we talk about transitions and when we talk about age, Mm -hmm. people who go into retirement, whether it's early at age 50, which today's with the expected lifespan extension that you read about all the time where people are living longer, now the challenges become how do you live healthy and well? And so if you're going to retire early at age 50, you need to have a plan of what you're going to do with your life that's not just, oh, good, now I don't have to work anymore. Because that takes people by surprise, and they drift into certain behaviors that may not be in their best interest. So I think conscious planning about how they're going to transition through that at 70 or 67 or whatever, it may be a little bit different. But as a person, developmental theory says that as a person approaches 80, you actually cross a different threshold in the way that you look at life. So from 50 to 80, so to speak, that's a, that's 30 years. And that's a long time to live in what's considered, the, the developmental theory says that from age 25 to, it used to be age like age 25 to 55, now it's more like age 30 to 65 or more even. Um, your life is defined by responsibility and your tasks are about your responsibility to others and your financial responsibilities. Whereas when you pass that stage and you get into age 50 or 60 or 65, it's about either regenerating yourself or the term is regenerativity that the theory uses or stagnation. And I think that goes directly to what you were saying, Bill, about 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 transitions, is that if someone is prepared and can consciously kind of come up with an active plan for what it is they want to do, 
with their life after they're not working full time. And to kind of think of it as a wheel, where is everything complete or all the spokes kind of accounted for? What about their personal? What are they going to do in the absence of an occupational task? What about their relationships? What about their personal growth? What about their physical activities? What about their health? And kind of consciously do that in a way that we know that we may have to adapt and change. I think of it as when the football players back up and you have to punt. But you don't want to really be in that situation in retirement. You'd like to have a little bit better plan. And someone like yourself can actually coach a person, at least from the financial perspective, about all of that. It's kind of like having a good coach on the football field. You got to have a plan. That's right. Well, and I want to talk. One of the words that comes up, and, and you're you're talking all around this idea is, for me, I hear over and over again. It's a it's a shift in identity or a change in identity, but it's not addressed until it happens. So, is there any kind of a proactive way, whether we're we're transitioning from one business to another, uh, whether it's a transition? We keep bringing up retirement because that's my experience. Um, can we proactively work on who am I going to be when this stage happens so that, because that's where I see a lot of problems happen is you get there and then it's not what you thought. And then you see things people don't talk about. You see depression. Um, (laughs) we've seen increased suicide. We've seen divorce, those kind of things. So is there a way to say, you know what, you know, it's so different than the, than the ads in the magazine with the white haired people on a yacht all beautiful that's not that's not real life necessarily so there's a way we can proactively say okay this may be coming up in the future and address it before we're there because that's where I see people really getting stuck sometimes and that goes to what your comment was Bill about 30 or 35 when you get laid off you know your level of responsibility if you have children at 35 years old and they're young there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and pressure It is good to realize that that's life, and it's always been like that. And people in their 30s, if they have children, they've been doing this for millennia. And yes, maybe back in the days when we all walked barefoot and lived in caves, we might have been had, you know, 15-year-old children at 30, but today you might have five-year-old children. But still, people have always been responsible for the well-being and survival of their offspring until they're able to do that on their own at whatever age that is. Back in that day, it might have been 12, 15 years old. They were out, you know, harvesting and uh, shooting animals for food or whatever. And now they're, you know, just in middle school, right? Very different. But in that sense, if a 35-year-old is faced with that and they can manage that and use it as an opportunity, it goes to what you said about identity, um, that a person needs to recreate a little bit about what they're doing and regenerate themselves at 60 or 65 but a 35 year old may face that as well and it's entirely okay to think about here is my opportunity it doesn't have to just be an intellectual um, research opportunity of saying I think about when I chose to leave Equifax and I was only 30 because I'd started working at 19 and so I did this research and I checked into well, what, how am I going to make money if I go into the music business? I went back to school and studied music, and I wanted to go into production and all this. And then all the things I researched before I walked away from that great corporate career that I'd been in like an incubator. It had developed my identity as a professional because I was only 19 when I started. I literally did go through an identity crisis of sorts because I didn't just jump into being a full-time student. It was very odd. I went from this you know, traveling all over the country and carrying my briefcase and the company car and the paycheck every week. And then, boom, I'm this student. (laughs) And I'm trying to juggle these part-time jobs for way less money than I was used to living on. And I thought I had my plan all ready. 
And then I graduate, got all that, put it together, came up with some ideas, adjusted, adapted, made the most of it, hopefully graduated. And the three jobs that I found were about what I'd gotten paid, actually less in some cases than when I was in school in these supposed temporary part-time jobs I was willing to do. And I had to kind of rethink, and I went back into the field I knew. So when you talk about the being 30 or 35, I think we have this opportunity that we can increase our skills, we can increase our sense of competency, which is important in psychology. Do we feel competent? Someone as young as five years old needs to feel competent about things. Can they make their bed? Can they brush their teeth on their own and mom and dad acknowledge it? Can they help wash dishes even if they splatter water all over the floor? Because that helps them know that they're contributing to the family. Well, when we're 30, then we are faced sometimes with an opportunity of, okay, now, how do I increase my sense of self? And then you may have to adapt. It's, and then it's 65. What am I going to do now? And so I think you're right that you want to plan somewhat ahead. And I think of it as that balance. You look at your, I heard a um, Mary Kay national sales director millionaires in the 80s say something one time my mother drove a pink Cadillac for Mary Kay for a long time some of my best sales training even though I was in corporate America came from Mary Kay and um, she said you it was like the wheels of a car look at the different areas of your life and if one of those wheels go flat you're gonna know it and Don a couple of things I'm thinking about here regarding somebody in transition and they they're facing the shock of so many changes two things I I think that would be helpful for a counselor such as yourself, and maybe you share this with them, I'd like to know. One is don't don't be alone, because this is a time when you need people. I've had the opportunity on two or three occasions to speak to groups of outplaced people mm-hmm. in the Atlanta area. Roswell United Methodist Church for a good number of years I think it's every Tuesday night. They have somewhere between three to 500, 600 displaced executives who show up. And some of them have been out of work for a good while. I remember one man we first had before the speaking part of it, we had a little round table discussion. And one man said, I was laid off from my co- company after 44 years. And he mm. said, I had, I had worked for the company in more than 20 countries. Now, the good thing about this man was he didn't try to face it on his own. Mm-hmm. And then I think along with that is to look around and find many people who've gone through that who are in careers where they're happier and more productive now. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Or they redefine their lives by changing what their career actually means for a person who's over 50 or over 65, hopefully, or more. They may work part-time. You always love to see people that have decided to go to work part-time somewhere. They work on their own terms. They're, they're pleasant. They're helpful. They know things. And going back to that good customer service, right down to the Walmart greeter, everybody jokes, oh, well, I'll go be a Walmart greeter. But actually, that person gives a face to the company that would actually be very impersonal otherwise. And so if they can find something meaningful to do, but you're so right, Bill, isolation is one of the worst things we can do for our mental health. Being alone, and I don't mean being alone as in being a single person. I'm talking about the more isolated a person is, the le- they become less and less healthy over time. We have got to find a way if we're facing things and if we're naturally more introverted or if we're struggling with something that causes us to want to be isolated. Isolation is a symptom of depression. 
We've got to dig deep and find the courage within ourselves to reach out for something. It's one of the reasons as a counselor I loved doing group therapy and often in my private practice I'm always looking for opportunities of what can I do because it's not always easy to host those. I'm so happy to hear about Roswell United Methodist. I'm going to keep that in mind. That is an excellent opportunity because if we're isolated, it I, we could talk for another hour about all the possible things that can go wrong there, but it does have a long-term degrading chronic effect on a person's well-being we've got to be i have we're better off to get up and if we don't have any money to go spend 50 cents on a cup of coffee at mcdonald's Mm -hmm. and speak to the person behind the counter and speak to somebody at a table and make eye contact and smile even if you don't want to talk to somebody and to sit by a window in the sun rather than stay home well for for one thing this is a time when your confidence is low yes and your self-esteem is low i'm I'm not worth anything to my company anymore i'm not Mm -hmm. worth anything to my industry i've lost my profession people don't think well of me well if you sit around and just let those thoughts germinate you're going to be in deep depression and, you know, it's something, the gentleman that you spoke to, 44 years, that's a long time to develop an identity. That's a much longer period. You know, I mentioned feeling a little bit thrown out of my 10-year identity, and I was only 30. You know, and I thought I was older, and I used to say, well, I want to do something different before I'm old and 40. Well, now I'm laughing at that <laughs> because I went back to grad school about then. But um, it, it's just, I, I applaud the man for being willing to get out there and do something different because I do think that 44 years is a much bigger challenge than 5, 10, or even 15. You know, one of the things that we're talking a lot about transitions, but I I, I want to know the person that maybe maybe it's a high-stress job. Maybe mm-hmm. there's some, some relationships in the job that are just really hard. Are there any, any ideas or tools for somebody that you see coming to you say, hey, this job is just really stressful? Is there tools or is the answer just maybe you separate from it? I don't. I think there's certainly a process by which a person can think about that, Bo. Stress management is critical to life in general and especially on the job. Um, people do report being what seems to be more stressed in general and they report being more stressed on the job. Life feels a lot more chaotic. Life feels overcrowded is is the, probably the best term. We have a constant influx of noise from all of our media devices. Um, you know, just noise in general. It's all around us all the time. Things seem to be constantly changing. And it's interesting to watch younger people. Almost the way they've coped with that is a kind of a classic form of detachment in a sense they sort of just don't react to it and those of us who've been very driven in our careers kind of go what's the matter with you you're so chill you know get moving (laughs) you know we my husband and I joke about um my stepson we called him grandpa at 16 (laughs) because he's very methodical he's somewhat introverted he's very very good at what he does he brings a deep sense of commitment to it but he didn't react because as he saw his parents going through these changes one of the things he did is kind of just let it be where it was at you know and and i hope that he was able to trust us to do it but he had he had very driven parents around him so he he became driven in a different sort of quiet or more methodical way and it was suited his temperament but when we talk about stress temperament does affect your stress management sometimes your mental health can affect your temperament depending on it so when i talk about temperament we, we can think about the typical type a type b okay. then they have a thing called type d which is hypothesized now we don't necessarily have any proof for it and the type t 
which is the sensation seeking. It's the kind of guy that might be driving a race car. Okay. Um, or you're a female that becomes a, a pilot in the Air Force. You know, those are kind of type T personalities. But some of us can be sensation seeking in the sense that we need change. We need things that challenge us intellectually. I realized I was more of a sensation seeker. Duh, I'm a water skier, right? <laughs> but I wasn't always probably like that. But I think one of the ways that I did that when I was younger and not necessarily as athletic is I did it through intellectual stimulation. Sought new things intellectually to keep me challenged. So we all need to be stimulated in the way that suits us. A type A is driven. Interestingly enough, type A is not bad the way that the uh five-word headlines might have implied type A's are typically your entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and if they are not if they don't have a hostile mindset that's the one key factor is having a hostile approach and sometimes being too impatient can actually contribute to the famous cardiovascular problems that they report going otherwise type A have all this they have lots of positive traits those are the two that aren't and I get kind of irritated when I hear people talk about type A with this only about that like it's only bad or type t like they're only risk takers well yeah they create things you know they they take risks they start companies they employ people they have new ideas they're not just the kind of people oh that you hear it and the reason i say this Bo and bill you know this about me i taught college with psychology and so you got young people in there who are risk takers and they hear that makes them more prone to addiction well okay now let's take the next conversation point Okay, are you at risk? Do you know to make good choices? Okay, good. Let's talk about what you can do because you are, because this is great, right? Type B, or you're more methodical, you're more consistent, you're more dependable, you always want one of them on your team, if not more. You might need four or five because everybody counts on them. (laughs) So you need your leaders, you need your people who implement plans instead of worrying about trying to come up with a new way to do something all the time. (laughs) That's not always good. So when we talk about stress management, the mindset you approach with it for a type A who might struggle with impatience, you got mindfulness is a great approach. Mindfulness is a good way to help slow down the noise of today. Taking a moment to unplug, taking a moment to realize, am I taking a breath? Have I calmed, have I just noticed the smell of flowers? Have I noticed that the grass is green today? Have I noticed that the dogwoods are blooming right now? Have I kind of, for me, the way that I got out of that impatience, because I was one of those driving down 400, I found that when, especially when 400 was still only two lanes and I spent two and a half hours one way every day going to Georgia State, um, I moved over to the right lane. I was amazed at the, I had started learning about this mindfulness stuff because I am a rather driven personality. So I was trying to kind of understand how to grow. And it was like, wow, the whole, my whole body would change just by getting in the right lane and not in that race mindset of how fast, get out of my way, move over, what are you in this left lane slowing down people for, and just get over and back my foot off the accelerator, and oh my goodness, I'm still going 65 miles an hour, you know, but I wanted to be going 90, right? <laughs> right? And then, of course, that puts you in mode for a speeding ticket. But this idea of taking this conscious, like a constant relaxation but the other thing, when you mentioned that about difficult people and difficult environments, the first thing we can do, and Bill and I have done a couple of interviews about our self-talk, examine our beliefs. What is it we think is going to, what do we think is supposed to be happening, and is that in line with reality? What is it we're expecting from people? Is that realistic? Have we accounted for different people's styles? My best boss probably ever, and I've had some really good ones, used to, she distributed, she was, had been a captain in the Army. 
And she distributed a list of her pet peeves. And I walked in her office and I said, Gail, (laughs) I do seven out of ten of these every day. How do you even put up with me? But you know what worked is she approached my development under her leadership as a value for what I brought to the table different and an opportunity to teach me what she knew that was very different from me. And mutual respect made for one of the most enduring appreciation I've ever had for my professional development because of her belief in me, her willingness to, we would break things down when I was struggling with something. And she'd say, now, why is this happening? And what's going on? And talk, and we'd like backstep it and break it down. But that came from her attitude that each person on her team was important, right? And so, And I had to learn to kind of do a little better stress management. I'd get pretty wound up about things. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to to challenge those beliefs what is it I'm expecting how is this person handling this and then to go to your idea so I think our our beliefs are one way our expectations are another mm-hmm. got to get in line with reality and say this is just how it is it's not always supposed to be wonderful it's not always supposed to work is is important for its own purpose um, I'm an Adlerian clinical psychotherapist so I come from this mm-hmm. approach Alfred Adler said that work Love and friendship were three of the most imp- were three literally the life tasks that developed for a, a, a functioning person in his society in the 30s and 40s. And then now they've added some other things. And one of the things he talked about was that social interest, which is what you talked about, Bill, about people coming to that meeting, being engaged in the world and community around us. But so we've got to say work is not always going to be wonderful. When we're 16 to 35 years old, we don't even really need to be That's why they call it work instead of play. (laughs) Yes. Now, you know, there's that also saying that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's an important thing, too. But sometimes it's about saying, you know what, this is getting me what I need. I've had people who say to me, I'm not going to quit my job. This is not my most fulfilling thing. I want to be... Um, a crochet artist and I'm not going to make a living at that so they find a way to be realistic about their job to spend that 40 hours to find I know one woman who um, is was in remission with cancer for over 10 years and other people around her and her job were miserable can't tell you how many people I saw being negative hiding out at home just it, it, dour face every time you saw him here this woman is she's trying to beat cancer stage whatever right goes through all this stuff went through some losses at the same time what she did she would make um, bake things or cook or make meals and be part of the lunch crew at her office while everybody else is doing nothing but talking about how awful it was she found a way to connect and do something that mattered to her that was in line with her values that made going to work have something positive. And interestingly enough, if you really drilled down, she saw all those same things everybody else was talking about. She just chose not to focus on them. It's almost, I've seen that a few times, and it's really empowering. It's a mind shift, right, so to speak, in that I've seen that where people, everybody there would be complaining, and this one person says, you know what? That's the thing that allows me to do what I love. That person complaining probably is using up all their energy complaining to not do the things they enjoy because they're focused on how, their situation is not what they want. So it's just a mind shift sometimes, but it's really powerful when you see somebody just take it and make it work for them. Especially under such challenging circumstances. I was a complainer because I was, and I think part of the, and I don't mean in a real negative way, maybe my uh, managers and stuff would have disagreed. But for me, it was that I maybe kept myself a little stressed out at 25, 27 years old because, and I think part of that comes from those of us who want to create change in a positive way. 
And so when we find ourselves hitting that roadblock, we do need a slight adjustment. It's nothing wrong with the fact that I wanted to help make things better or I was looking to improve how I performed on the job or I wanted the department to perform better or that it would, my biggest pet peeve was to stand at the copier and the dang thing break down. Like that'd send me over the edge at 25 years old, right? Probably still would. But, you know, and I'd be like, what am I doing standing here having to worry about this when I've got four deals on my table I'm supposed you know at my desk I'm supposed to be closing today and I you know and I mean I'd be off and running right and that little shift and say okay I'm a I'm a person who wants things to work right hang on dog just take a step back and I've learned to do that a little more it's that same analogy of taking your foot off the accelerator right don I want to uh, elaborate a little bit on the excellent example you gave about pulling off into the right lane on 400 it reminds me of something I read just within the last week there was a, an extensive study of which people were the most productive and they first studied one group was a group that never left their job during the day during the day they just wouldn't get away to do anything they wouldn't walk outside and get a breath of fresh air the second group was a group that would would at least every hour take five minutes get up and walk around go chat with somebody get a cup of coffee now the first group i mentioned would have looked on those people as big time wasters and yet the study of these two groups over a period of time showed that the second group was far more productive because if you call it mindfulness, if you call it relaxation, if you call it self-refreshment, we all need a break. And I, I think that's one of the, probably one of the wonderful lessons that you bring to people that all work and no play may sound like it's going to get you somewhere but it will it will get you in a lot of trouble emotionally it burns you out and and we need that unplug moment that's the reason that there's so much written now about unplugging from all of our devices and all of our electronics whether it's even turning off the television too because just don't turn off this show (laughs) that's right (laughs) but it's this idea that you've got to change gears and they call that work that workflow you can be in a workflow and work for three hours and feel very refreshed at the end because you're in flow but at a certain point if you start to lag you've got to get up you've got to take a stretch break they now talk about that with our physical health you've got to move around even if you stretch at work and i was thinking about when you were saying that i was laughing at a memory barbara curtis realty is out of coming and i've known barbara curtis for a number of years she's known me since my first few years when i was working at aquifax we first met because she was a longtime post uh apartment manager and she was mine and I went to work for her while I was at Georgia State she offered me a job as one of my three part-time jobs I was doing she said would you like to lease apartments you're a big believer you've been living here on and off for a long time I said yeah I'd love that you know well then I'd get aggravated right not at the residence most of the time usually it was some what I thought was mundane bureaucracy and I called it crap. I hope I can say that on the air. That's a redundancy, mundane bureaucracy. <laughs> and yes. And I was just and she said to me, she was she's a real straight shooter and very driven herself with a, a lot of accomplishments, a great work ethic. And one day I was about to mouth off and she looked at me and she said, Stop that right there. She said, Go take yourself up and down the stairs. You apparently need to take a walk around the pool. You cannot be doing that in here. I got this I got to do. We got to get along with these people and we got to make this work. And I use that later in a job where they, when you talk about being seated, they never wanted us to leave our desk. 
I, I actually laughed and offended our team leader because I got in trouble for not asking permission to go to the restroom, and I thought she was kidding. And, I mean, I'd worked as an executive, and I actually laughed out loud. I said, really? Like, I thought she was playing a game, and she got really upset. And I'm like, are you serious? Are we in and then it spilled out of my mouth. Are we in kindergarten now, you know? And so what I would do when I'd get frustrated on that job, I, there was six flights of stairs. Turned it into an opportunity for exercise because what yeah. Barbara taught me. <laughs> I, was, I was in a workforce once where uh, I think it was in my first month there. The supervisor said to me, you know, Bill, one thing I do not want in this office, I do not want people laughing because I know they're not working. I believe it was that afternoon I redid my resume. Mm -hmm. I would have, too. Mm -hmm. The best thing that can happen is for your employees to have humor. That, that eases, even in couples therapy in our practice, if they can find their humor, even in the middle of a struggle. John Gottman is, a, is a, one of the leading researchers in couples theory, and he says that the things he's observed in what he calls repairs when people, he said conflict's not bad. You know, that's not the big deal. It's in some ways, you can't resolve it, and that's a whole different conversation. But he talks about that when they make a repair attempt because of something they've done that hasn't been that thoughtful about their partner, how that repair attempt is received. And often his anecdotal kind of reports in his literature is that someone will they'll just bust out laughing in the middle of a fight. And everything's fine, and they didn't it. solve it, but right. they're okay. And then I think, and when, so that goes to your question, Bo, about difficult people. That, and you mentioned about does that mean you just leave? I think there's other steps you can do first, obviously, and there may be, you see people who either realistically or because they believe they can't leave. And that's a different issue that I can help a person with if we're doing either personal growth counseling or life coaching. Is, do you, is this true? I want to challenge that first. Is you really are trapped in this job and you have nowhere to go and no other options and nothing can be done? Or is that realistic for reasons that are unique to their situation? I think first you can talk about how you approach it. How, going back to what we were saying, what do you believe? What do you expect? What do you think about yourself and your company and your boss? And all these different strategies can be used before a person makes a plan, you know, decides they're going to leave. Then if they're going to, I want them to make a plan. It's always better to have a job before you leave one, right? right. But there are times that you can use the, uh, working with a difficult boss or difficult co-worker who may be influential on the job. Let's use maybe working... Well, I won't use any examples. I don't want anybody to feel targeted in a particular industry because all of them have it. But if you're working in a position where maybe there are limited options and you're in a high, highly skilled set of people and you're needed in that and you've got a good job and alternative might be more sacrifice than you or your family want to make. But sometimes if you, you can expand your skills with difficult people. But at a certain point, if that person is not being addressed by leadership above that, and they continue to be difficult, and it's taking a toll, and you've sought some professional assistance and support for what to do about it, it might be time to leave. You know, and I find that sometimes I have to have that conversation. It's like, you know, maybe it's hard to, you're making $80,000 at your career now. Maybe it's hard to think of doing anything different because you know that might not be the opportunity, but maybe you don't need that, and mm -hmm. maybe what you're doing is actually physically killing you. Absolutely. Literally, from the stress. Mm -hmm. And then maybe it's time, I call it the ulcer factor, right? Yes. You know? Uh, well, Don, we've talked about so many things today, We uh, like, like expectations. That fascin That could be a whole show, <laughs> just just that topic. And so we're going to have to have Dawn on for other things. But, but as we kind of wind down today's episode, tell us a little bit about your firm 
and outside of business, even the people you do you deal with and help, and what, what our listeners need to know about you and your business. Thank you. Okay. Um, my practice is located here in Gainesville. The name of it is Dawning Phoenix. We have a staff of counselors. I'm a small private pay practice. I don't process any form of insurance. And I, we focus a lot on trying to empower each person that comes in the door for whatever service they're choosing to be able to make a choice when they want to come, you know, within our schedule, of course. What we try to do by not working with uh, health insurance is we don't want to dictate, have someone dictate the level of care and the length of care. So as an Adlerian psychotherapist, we collaboratively establish those goals. I may talk to them about what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, but then they participate and say, well, this is what I want to accomplish while I'm here. So that goes back to my sales experience, very goal-directed. So we have a staff. We do individual uh, adult psychotherapy. We do see um, adolescents age 13 and up. I tend to do that on a case-by-case basis. I don't advertise any kind. I don't have a specialty in working with adolescents. We've done it successfully, but we tend to have more adults come in. Uh, we do couples, uh, we do life coaching, and I now offer online therapy, uh, only in a limited format. We have a very experienced therapist that's doing that part-time in the evenings available to people who cannot come in, either because maybe they work in Gwinnett County, but they've been referred or heard about us. She might be an option for them. And I try to always pay it forward by offering an opportunity to an intern, and that keeps us in a low-cost counseling option. And what our aim there is for people who cannot afford health insurance They don't qualify for free social services in town because they may have a job or they may have some income, but it's not enough to really pay for services and it's not enough to keep health insurance. And in that case, they can come in and see either an intern or an associate that are always lower cost. Excellent. And how how can people listening uh, maybe find out more? Is there a website, a phone number, email? What what would be the best way to reach out to you? Great. Thank you. The best way to find out about us is to go to our website at dawningphoenix.com. We have a full list of services. We explain our couple's model. We have a biography for each staff member. And our phone number's on there, so they can always, they're always welcome to call and ask me any questions and I always try to tell them I don't want to send them just to the website it is a personal conversation if you're looking at a counselor or life coach we do a lot of um, I do conflict resolution too by the way Bo I forgot to mention that but I don't do it as a registered neutral anymore which is what I was a mediator and I'm trained in a couple of different areas for that but what we now do is offer what we call brief solution oriented therapy we meet for people up to six times um, no more than two hours usually at a time and we limit it. We say we're only going to meet six times, and it's only for this particular purpose related to resolving conflict, either between family members, between groups, between coworkers, or sometimes couples, but more often it's other situations. Couples tend to choose couples therapy. Very good. Uh, it occurred to me as, as you two were talking, we talk about the importance of getting away, of uh, not handling stress 24 hours, moving away from your work, getting enough sleep, all those things that are important. Yes. And here I'm sitting here realizing that Bo is about to take a 10-day vacation to the Outer Banks, and Don is about to take a 10-day vacation, vacation to the Florida Keys for diving. So those are two good examples of very dedicated professionals who give it their all when they work, but also know there comes a time to rejuvenate and to enjoy and to relax. In my profession, it's actually considered ethical um, because they can they see us go through either what they call compassion fatigue or burnout. Burnout affects you in business from a productivity standpoint. It, affect, it affects you in effectiveness if you're a counselor. So it is hard as a self-employed person to do that, Bill, and that's where I love having um, colleagues that I can trust. 
That's it. So, Don Eccles, thank you so much for being on the show. So much good information. Like I said, we're going to have to have you back because we had we had multiple topics today that could be entire shows that I said. So, thanks so much. Thank you. And guys, you've been listening to North Georgia Business Radio. Uh, this is Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton. We've been listening to Don Eccles, and we'll see you right here, same place, same time, on North Georgia Business Radio, coming to you from the Business Incubator at Bernal University.